Let's pray. O Lord our God, we come now to sit beneath the instruction of your holy word. We acknowledge that your word is right and that all your work is done in truth. Father, you love righteousness and justice and all the earth is full of your goodness. By your word, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of your mouth. Gracious Lord, while our word often fails, your word remains certain. You remember your covenant forever, the word which you commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which you made with Abraham and your oath with Isaac, you confirmed it to Jacob for a statute and to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And we stand here today as a testimony of your covenant faithfulness. You have sent your word to heal us, to deliver us from our own destructions. O Lord, we give thanks for your goodness and for your wonderful works that you have done for the children of men. We sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare your works with rejoicing. We will delight ourselves in your statutes and we will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servants that we may live and keep your word. Open now our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law and may we never add or subtract from your perfect word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Hear now the word of the living God. See how great a forest is kindled A little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. I began a series on the subject of words uh, back in... Uh, January, January the 20th is when I began and uh, had uh, several sermons on that subject and then was interrupted through other events and demands uh, of the pulpit and uh, knew that I needed to come back and finish that up. And so Lord willing, today and next Lord's Day, we will finish up that series on words. And specifically, I want to remind you of a couple of things uh, in leading into today's sermon, uh, primarily concerning the power of words. And um, words, we need to remember, are symbolic of thought. They are also symbolic of intent and action. Words themselves are a form of behavior. 
Words, God's words, of course, are powerful. His words go forth they, and they change the world. They create or generate new things. They sustain old things. Resurrection, regeneration from the dead are by the Word of God. And God's words sometimes curse and bring judgment, and sometimes they bless. As creatures who are made in the image of God and having been uniquely granted the blessing of language, our words are also powerful. They too are forms of behavior that reveal our character. For example, violent words are a form of violence. Soothing words are a form of comfort. And when I was a child, I remember being taught to say the magic words, please and thank you. Those are magic words. But really, all words are magic, if we can use that word there, because words do things. Words change things. If I am performing a marriage ceremony and I say, I now pronounce you man and wife, I just did something with words, something profound, something mystical or magical. Something really happened. We do the same thing in baptism. And so, um, words make th- can make things better or worse. W- words can wound. Words can heal. Words can curse or bless. You have felt the impact of words spoken to you or about you, haven't you? Words have given you encouragement and joy. Words have hurt you and made you angry. Words have destroyed and words have repaired. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says this, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our speech speech is always an indicator of our hearts. Always. And the way we know the real person is revealed in what they say and, of course, what they do. Uh, it's It's a way of our reading the ingredients label. So we know what's on the inside. It's what's plastered there on the outside. If profane, nasty, blasphemous words come out of your mouth, then we simply know what is in your heart. We know the kind of person you are. Gracious words reveal gracious hearts. Most of us can control the tongue or hide the heart, if you will, for a short period of time. We can cover it up in certain circumstances But eventually, uh, and and we can do that especially if it would mean that we got into some kind of trouble for saying what we're wanting to say, or if it'll cost us something, but the corrupt heart eventually comes pouring out of the mouth under at least two circumstances I was thinking about. First, uh, when a person thinks it won't cost them anything. 
when your parents or your teacher or your boss or God isn't listening, when you're wanting to sound hip and cool or tough, it's ironic that this is so-called adult language. It's anything but. And I should note that this is not limited to a short list of banned words, but it really includes any kind of corrupt or vile or disrespectful language. Even when you think no one that matters is listening, it is still revealing your true heart. And of course, God is always listening. The other circumstance is when you're under some sort of a sort of pressure. Uh, oh, I only curse when I'm mad. But if a cup is filled with sweet water and it gets jostled, then it just fills sweet water. Whatever is on the inside is what comes out under such circumstances. Now, I mentioned magic words, curse words. Uh, again, it's a, it's a broad range of words. I don't want to limit this to simply what we think of as the traditional curse words, the four-letter words. Those are certainly included here, but there are other, other forms of that. Uh, I said that words are magic. Well, these kind of perform black magic. They really do curse. They really do damage relationships. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Perhaps you only talk that way with your spouse or family or your co-workers or your close friends or when the ladies are out of the room. Or maybe you think you're clever and can slip an abbreviated form into your text or Facebook post. But don't kid yourself. Such words always do damage to you and to others because words are powerful. They always work their magic. Now, curse words tend to be powerful indeed because to linguistically reduce something or someone to the level of a biological function and their resultant products is almost always an act of contempt. And contempt is toxic. Being the image bearers of God, our words should participate in hallowing rather than profaning the world. So let me take a moment to talk to you about your family and your mouth. I've seen husbands and wives and parents and children all show contempt for one another with profane, obscene, degrading, disrespectful, and generally contemptuous words. It can also be done with a roll of the eyes or a stomp of the foot. There are other ways to do it, but words are one of the main ways these things happen. And while words may not break your bones, they will tear up relationships. Psychologist John Gottman did a study, and in it, spouses were asked to discuss something mildly contentious while observers recorded their, uh, certain sensors on their body record physiological responses. After years of studying the nuances of these exchanges, Gottman became very successful at predicting which couples would get divorced. 
The most telling indicators were expressions of contempt. Your words have the power to calm a situation. And they also have the power to throw gas on the fire. Proverbs 15, a few verses here out of Proverbs that address this. Just listen, the contrast. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. That was from Proverbs 15, Proverbs 26, 21. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Your words matter in your family, in your relationships, both short-term and long-term. Don't think that because you had that quarrel last week or last month or last year that all the remnants and the damage are gone. You had a beautiful coffee table you'd saved up and purchased. You came in there and your four-year-old had driven a 16-penny nail through the middle of it after you dealt with your child and you pull that nail out, there's a hole left. You could take it to someone who's good at woodworking and they could fill that hole and do a good job probably of matching the color and refinishing it. But guess where your eyes go every time you look at that table? Now put about 25 nails on the top of that, or 100, or 1,000. You see what happens? That's what words do. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. One of the... Uh, this is why, why are we surprised when loud and angry and hurtful and vile and nasty words leave everyone else angry and bitter and depressed and broken? Is this how Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, husbands? Is this how we show respect to our closest neighbors, our family? Now, I'm going to get personal here. Perhaps some of you have some repenting to do this afternoon towards some who are your family members. I want to remind you that the idea of coming to church isn't to check something off your list so you can go out the doors and not do anything about it. So if there's a mess that needs to be cleaned up in your household, and I'm applying this to any, anybody in the household, children, adults, husbands, wives, parents, kids, whoever, Perhaps you need to spend some time this afternoon repenting towards some of your family members. And it would sound something like this. With some of my words, I have shown contempt and disrespect for you, and I have not honored the Lord with my mouth. There are no excuses for me. Will you... Forgive me for my totally inappropriate and sinful words.
And will you pray for me that I will learn to speak the truth in love without such ungodly language? Now, if somebody said that to me that needed to say it to me, I would say yes. Because I would grasp that they had begun to grasp just what it was they had done with those words. So did you get that? No ifs, ands, or buts. Not, well, you did make me really angry the other day, and I said some things I shouldn't have said. No. They may have made you angry, but that doesn't excuse what you said. Okay? Maybe they need to repent of some things they're doing. That's a separate issue. Right now I'm dealing with my sins. I am responsible for what I say and how I say it, and I am responsible for those things all the time. I can never point to someone else and say, you made me do that. Now, some of you may have watched Nick Walenda walk across the Grand Canyon last Sunday night on a two-inch wire. It was rather dramatic, rather impressive. The previous night, there was a two-hour behind-the-scenes show about him and his family and his crew. And in several scenes, he was cursing like a sailor. Bleep, bleep, bleep. And in several other scenes, he was praying with his family in the name of Jesus. And when he walked across that wire at the Grand Canyon for 22 and a half minutes, he was talking to Jesus the whole time. How can that be? Well, as our text says, with the tongue we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God, the similitude of God, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Now, let me just make one little caveat here. A curse can be legitimate, even for men. It is a call for judgment in some cases. This appears quite frequently in the Bible. It is done most often by God himself in righteous judgment against the wicked. Hell and damnation are biblical concepts. A curse, though, is comprised, essentially, we could describe it this way, of words that harm or call for harm in the case of judgment. They are words that are corrupt, they destroy or defile, and they can take several forms. Again, they can be a form of judgment, either legitimate or illegitimate. They might degrade and be disrespectful. They can threaten and be violent. They can blaspheme. That is to speak evil of. They can be idle words like expletives, just filler. They can be profane, which means outside the temple, taken out of context. They can be obscene, foul. Nasty. In the past, such words were considered manly or tough. But nowadays, with women wanting to be equal with men, some of the vilest persons I hear are female. And so you've come a long way, baby. You're finally as crude as men. 
Our current culture is filled with profanity and filth. It's considered cool and hip to use such language, but it's a show of defiance. No one, including God or the preacher, is going to tell me what I can and can't say. And so to show everybody how independent I am, I'm going to talk like everyone else. I hear people who would be highly offended if you were to question their Christianity, use some of the vilest words. Christian liberty is not the freedom to do whatever we wish. It is the power to live to please God. I am a, it's amazing how far some who bear the name Christian will go to justify such talk, considering it a way to, to reach those on the outside, outside the church, who might be put off by religious people. It's the old, we have to be more like the world in order to reach the world. This is absolutely contrary to what Scripture teaches. We're to be lights of the world, noticed and set apart through our words and our actions. The message of the gospel is all by itself going to offend people. But our use of language should not offend people. So what does the Bible say about this? As your pastor, it is my duty to tell you what God's Word says and to call you to it. I presume that you have come here this morning because you are Christians who want to know what God says about any given subject. I presume you want to know because you are redeemed sinners who want to be more like Christ. That you want to change. And I presume that includes your vocabulary. So in addition to the text we already read from James, consider this straightforward instruction from God. Ephesians 4, 29 through 30. See if this is subject to interpretation. I think this is pretty, pretty plain, okay? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. but only what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That says it all. No corrupt words, only gracious words that help build people up, and if you use those corrupt words, you grieve God. The Holy Spirit. First Peter three ten. For whatever, excuse me, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. The text from which James from James that we read at the beginning is clear uh, that the lives of Christian brothers should not be characterized by evil speech. Making the analogy, as he did, of both salt water and fresh water coming from the same spring, James makes the point that it is uncharacteristic for a believer to have both praise and cursing come out of their mouth. Nor is it characteristic for us to praise God on the one hand and curse our brothers on the other. And remember, his argument is, remember, all, those, all the people, I'm not cursing God. No, when you curse people, you're cursing God. They're made in His image. After the Apostle Paul warned that no corrupt word should proceed from our mouths, he followed that instruction with this. 
So he says, don't, remember, no corrupt word proceeds of your mouth. And here's, here's what you put in its place. Therefore, be imitators of God, dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness, and cursing is uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you which is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you once were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And so if you cuss and curse and use the language of the world, how are you different from the world? While God created us to use our mouths to praise Him, man in rebellion finds pleasure in using his mouth for the very opposite. Our culture is filled with words that are dirty and nasty and foul and lewd and vulgar and profane and obscene and blasphemous. Sin has corrupted our words because sin has corrupted our hearts. And that's why it's now cool to be crude. It's a public demonstration that God's not going to tell me what to do. It is defiance of his authority. Men love to take legitimate words out of context, for example. Words like hell and damnation, God, Jesus Christ, and use them in vain and casual ways to kick them around like they're trash. In their original context, these words, these are words that unnerve the unbeliever. And so by trying to place them in a lighter context, he hopes to get comfortable with them. Other words corrupt and mock what God calls holy and good. Things like sex, and family, and authority. While some words are simply base and nasty. Such expletives have become so common that we've grown accustomed to them, but I'm telling you, God is still offended. Little men with little vocabularies constantly reveal their smallness. Even some professing Christians profane their baptisms with these careless and corrupt words. And so we find ourselves, for example, we substitute words like heck and shoot or gosh or oh my God or friggin' or some kind of Christian substitute for foul and blasphemous language. Now I read this extended quote back in January or so, but I'm going to read it again from George Whitfield. We, Lee mentioned Wednesday night uh, 
that he was uh, one of the great leaders uh, uh, for the, in, the, in America becoming independent and leading our country very early. The great preacher, George Whitfield, here's what he has to say. And again, this is a long quote, but I think it's worth hearing again. The damned devils and damned souls of men in hell may be supposed to rave and blaspheme in their torments. Because they know that the chains wherein they are held can never be knocked off. But for men that swim in the river of God's goodness, whose mercies are renewed to them every morning, and who are visited with fresh tokens of his infinite, unmerited loving kindness every moment, from these favorite creatures, for these favorite creatures, to set their mouths against heaven, and to blaspheme a gracious, patient, all-bountiful God is a height of sin which exceeds the blackness and impiety of devils and hell itself. If these things be so, and the sin of profane swearing, as has been in some measure shown, is so, so exceedingly sinful... What shall we say to such unhappy men who think it not only allowable, but fashionable and polite to take the name of God in vain, who imagine that swearing makes them look big among their companions and really think it a piece of honor to abound in it? But alas, little do they think that such a behavior argues the greatest degeneracy of mind and foolhardiness that can possibly be thought of, thought of. For what can be more base than one hour to pretend to adore God in public worship and the very next moment to blaspheme His name? Indeed, such a behavior from persons who deny the being of God, if any such fools there be, is not altogether too much to be wondered at. But for men who not only subscribe to belief in deity, but likewise acknowledge him to be a God of infinite majesty and power, for such men to blaspheme his holy name by profane cursing and swearing, and at the same time confess that this very God has expressly declared he will not hold him guiltless, but will certainly and eternally punish without repentance, him that takes his name in vain is such, an in is such an instance or example of foolhardiness as well as baseness that can scarcely be paralleled. This is what they presume not to do in other cases of lesser danger. They dare not revile a general at the head of his army nor rouse a sleeping lion when within, his, when within reach of his paw. And is the Almighty God, the great Jehovah, the everlasting King, who can consume them by the breath of his nostrils and frown them to hell in an instant? Is he the only contemptible being in their account that may be provoked without fear and offended without punishment? No. Though God here long, he will not bear always. The time will come, and that too perhaps much sooner than such persons may expect, when God will vindicate his injured honor, when he will lay bare his almighty arm and make those wretches feel the eternal smart 
of his justice and show his power and name that they have so often vilified and blasphemed. Alas, what will become of their bravery then? Will they then wantonly sport with the name of their maker and call upon the king of all the earth to damn them any more in jest? Since the Bible teaches us that corrupt words are extremely offensive to God, and since they are so commonly used around us, then it is our Christian duty to show our disapproval and to seek to stop such vile behavior where we can't. We can't always stop it. It's not always appropriate for us to do so at any given moment. It takes wisdom here. And certainly no such word should proceed out of our mouths or our keyboards, not even BAMF, abbreviating filth, is still filth, even if your mother and your father don't know what it means. We owe this duty both to God and to our neighbors, since we do love them. We are obligated to honor and defend the name of God and His Word, and we must likewise seek to prevent the ruin of our neighbor. Sin is a condition of the heart, the mind, the inner man, which is manifested in our thoughts, actions, and words. When we swear and curse, we are giving evidence of the polluting sin of our hearts that must be confessed and repented of. Thankfully, our God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When this happens, ultimately, as we are in Christ, we receive a new nature from God, and our hearts are transformed, which means our, our speech will begin to reflect the new nature that God has created in us. We are called to live with a servant's heart, affirming the dignity of every human and the sacredness of existence. I'll close with a quote from Matthew Henry. Filthy words proceed from corruption in the speaker, and they corrupt the minds and manners of those who hear them. Christians should beware of all such discourse. It is the duty of Christians to seek, by the blessing of God, to bring persons to think seriously and to encourage and warn believers by their conversation. Let's pray. O Lord, we confess that there remains in us the remnant of a corrupt heart that from time to time spills out of our hearts and out of our mouths. We have been both careless and malicious with our words and have allowed that, that corruption to hurt others and to dishonor you. Help us, O Lord, to honor you with words and to guard our tongues. May our words be edifying and not destructive. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with thanksgiving. And fill us with praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 19, verse 14, is a prayer. And the last verse of that psalm has this as part of that prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Again, we see the connection between the heart and the mouth both of which are to be acceptable in the sight of God. And since both our heart and our mouths are always hearts and our mouths are always 
in the sight of God, that is a 24-7 proposition. But such heart and mouth control will not come on their own. Notice that the psalm ends with recognition that the Lord is our strength and our Redeemer. We cannot do this in our own strength. We first need redemption from the way we used to be and the way we used to do things. And then we need the strength of the Lord. And so here we are at the family table again, looking to the Lord for redemption and strength. We are here to be nourished in our faith and renewed in our hope so that we can go out those doors again, not to try in our own strength, that never works, Rather, as Paul writes in Galatians 5, 16, and 17, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh against, for the flesh lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so, as we eat today and we're reminded of who we are and why we're here and what he's done for us and what he can do for us, if words have been a problem for you, I hope that you're going to make a commitment here even this morning for this week to be better, for you to guard your tongue by the strength of the Lord, to look to him, to pray to him, to ask him to help you day in and day out to guard your mouth. And it's interesting, I was telling somebody earlier this week about how you know, outward behavior can change the heart. The Bible tells us, for example, we laugh about this a little bit, but it's true that uh, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And so I say there's some kind of a mystical connection between the seat of the britches and the heart. It does change the heart. You change the outward behavior, it impacts the heart. Well... Let's guard the mouth, Lord. Help me not to be so quick to speak. Help me make rules that I don't ever say those words. That's off limits. Uh, and then ask the Lord to help you because as you change the outward part by His grace and with those self-conscious efforts, it will change the heart. It will change the desire. See, what happens oftentimes with sin is we get comfortable with it and we stop fighting against it. Ask God to make you really uncomfortable with it so that it hurts and you recognize it. You catch yourself and know that he loves you. He knows your heart. He knows you're struggling with these things. This isn't to beat you up. Well, it kind of is. Okay. God, he, he does that. God wounds us in order to heal us, though. It's not just a wound. Okay. He tells us the truth about our hearts. And he says you can hear it in what comes out of your mouth. And so now I want you to do something about the heart. And I've given you what you need. I gave you my word and my spirit and brothers and sisters in Christ and prayer. I've given you all the things you need to make progress here and to become more like Christ. So let's uh, remember as we come to the table today. Oh God, our creator, you have made each one of us in every part. We pray today that you would bless us through and through. That we may delight to serve you fully that our bodies would be living sacrifices to bring glory to your name. Bless our eyes that we may discern the beauty you give. Bless our ears that we may hear you in the sounds 
of this world. Bless our sense of smell that your fragrance may fill our being. Bless our lips that we may speak your truth, show forth your kindness, and sing your praise. Bless our hands that we may play and write and touch as you guide them. Bless our feet that they may be messengers of the gospel. Bless our imaginations that we may be filled with wonder in your world. Bless our hearts that they may overflow with your love and bless us through and through that we may delight to serve you completely through Jesus Christ who took our nature to make us whole. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen.